This is Self Work, and I'm Dr. Margaret Rutherford. At Self Work, we'll discuss psychological and emotional issues common in today's world and what to do about them. I'm Dr. Margaret, and Self Work is a podcast dedicated to you taking just a few minutes today for your own self work. Hello and welcome, or I hope, welcome back to Self Work. I'm Dr. Margaret Rutherford. I'm a clinical psychologist out of Fayetteville, Arkansas. And eight years ago, we started Self Work so that I could extend the walls of my practice to those of you who might already be very interested in therapy or you're very psychologically savvy to those of you who might be looking for answers, but also to those of you who are pretty skeptical about mental health treatment but you're also, sadly, in trouble enough or you're searching enough to finally begin to reach out for help. And I hope that self-work will show you that you can do that safely and it'll make sense to you. That's my job here as I see it at self-work. When I choose topics for self-work, I often get them from your emails or voicemails. Sometimes I get them what's going on with my own clients or clients I've had in the past. And sometimes, like an episode a couple of weeks ago, from my own state of being. This past week, I received an email from one of you that saddened me. It opened with, Dear Dr. Margaret, listening to today's podcast has left me feeling more hopeless than ever. Everything's so simplistic. Laugh. About what? Ask for help. There isn't any. I've not just been asking, I've been practically screaming for it for what seems forever. Hopelessness, feeling despair, and its counterpart, helplessness, which is believing that nothing can be done to prevent what's happening. These are two of the worst feelings of depression, and two of the ones non-depressed people often can't seem to understand. Maybe even my own mantra that I repeat in almost every episode, look for what you can do about it. For those who are fighting these two demons, hopelessness and helplessness, it may sound like I'm skimming the surface of deeper depressions and not talking about the heavy burden and darkness that they or you might feel. So, I want to talk about that today. I want to focus on feelings of hopelessness and helplessness, and dare I say, what you can do about it. But I also want you to know that I looked at people and said that sometimes there's nothing to do but sit with this stage of depression right in the middle of it, like sitting in the middle of a rug or a throw and looking around it, maybe even pulling it toward you, trying to have compassion for yourself in it until it begins to ease. Since I'll be using much of this one listener's email, we won't feature another one for today. I promise you, this listener's life holds much to be understood and to have compassion for. She did say toward the end, I felt the need to write this. Much of it has never seen the light of day. Perhaps that alone might help. I can only hope that featuring her email might help as well. I got her permission, by the way. And I do believe that those words, seeing the light of day, helped. At least I hope it did. Let's first hear from BetterHelp, a great sponsor of self-work and a place that many of you have told me that you have sought treatment and gotten real help. You can literally have a therapist in 24 hours. And certainly during the holidays, sometimes we can always use someone to listen objectively and give us feedback. So here's a message from BetterHelp with a great offer. I recently heard a fascinating reframe for the idea of asking for help. 
Maybe you view asking for help as something someone does who's falling apart or who isn't strong. So consider this. What if asking for help means that you won't let anything get in your way of solving an issue, finding out an answer, or discovering a better direction? Asking for help is much more about your determination to recognize what needs your attention or what is getting in your way of having the life you want. BetterHelp, the number one online therapy provider, makes reaching out about as easy as it can get. Within 48 hours, you'll have a professional licensed therapist with whom you can text, email, or talk with to guide you. And you're not having to comb through therapist websites or drive to appointments. It's convenient, inexpensive, and readily available. Now you can find a therapist that fits your needs with BetterHelp. And if you use the code or link betterhelp.com slash selfwork, you'll get 10% off your first month of sessions. So just do it. You'll be glad you did. That link again is betterhelp.com slash selfwork to get 10% off your first month of services. It may seem unfitting to some of you or uncomfortable to focus on hopelessness and helplessness during a holiday season, but I think there are probably many of you who are listening and thinking, well, finally, As I said in the intro, I received a fairly long email from a regular listener immediately after she listened to episode 369 on being in the dumps. I'll read you the first couple of paragraphs of her email. Dear Dr. Margaret, listening to today's podcast has left me feeling more hopeless than ever. Everything's so simplistic. Laugh. About what? Ask for help. There isn't any. I've not just been asking, I've been practically screaming for it for what seems forever. I can't afford the cost of a professional, and what's left of my friends don't want to hear it. Even better help is not affordable. What's left? The suicide hotline? Doubt they'd be much help either. Probably get a bored 20-year-old scrolling on her phone while giving me her sympathy voice. I've alienated most everyone in my life. This isn't a couple of weeks of being in the dumps. I've been fighting this for years and have reached a new bottom that has surprised me. I'm done. A simple laugh, although always a good thing, will not tear me out of this one. I feel people view me with distaste and judgment and zero understanding. There is nothing. There is no one. I don't even know why I get up in the morning anymore except to feed the cats. I'm full of anger. Pretty obvious, no? And hurt. Wow. She wrote this email in a beautiful purple script, which was a little incongruous with her words. But it was this very irony that made it seem even more poignant to me. She has insight. She knows she's angry. She takes responsibility for alienating others, but at the same time believes that others view her with contempt and disdain. Is that really rational, or is that her own self-loathing telling her that others view her that way? And frankly, I don't know. One of my favorite experts on depression, Michael Yepko, Dr. Michael Yepko, tells his very depressed patients that they don't have the right to decide how others feel about them. And I've said something similar as well. It usually provokes a look either of, you don't understand, or sometimes of, you obviously don't get it. 
But often how you feel on the inside is what you tell yourself others must see in you. If I'm insecure about going to a social occasion, for example, which happens to me fairly often, as it does to many, I'll tell myself my insecurity can be seen by everyone in the crowd. Now, that's obviously not true, but it can seem so. What concerned me most about these paragraphs was her saying that she's reached a surprising new bottom. But before we go on, I want to pull some other quotes from her email that'll give you a clue about what's created that bottom. So I'm quoting her again. And I kind of jumped around because, again, it was a very long email. I simply could not use all of it. I turn to YouTube, a couple of people I follow there, and listen to you as often as I can. Trouble is, I read myself into every description of different traumas and things I'm trying to overcome. So she over-identifies with something she's reading or hearing. That's one issue. For example, did I have a trauma bond with my Jekyll and Hyde mother, a controlling, manipulative alcoholic that saved her special ugly for me? I was the scapegoat. She must have hated me the way she treated me sometimes. Yet she also needed to keep me close, and that was for a lifetime. I sat with her as she died, gasping her last. I was terrified and alone. This after an eight-year stint of caring for her and watching her disappear an inch at a time. I dropped my life like a whipped dog crawling back, perhaps hoping that this might be the time I was loved in return. So many people make that mistake. Here's some other issues. I have a partial memory of what must have been physical or sexual abuse when I was like seven years old. Who was that person? Or am I the adult child of an alcoholic who became a very proficient alcoholic myself now, alcohol-free for 30-plus years? Thanks, AA. Here's something else. It was after my dad was killed in an accident when I was 14 that my mom began to drink in earnest. She ended up getting involved with a vile human being. I routinely came home to scenes of violence I cannot begin to describe. So here's lots of trauma, guys. Most of it I've blacked out or suppressed. Being as during that time I drank and drugged quite a bit myself and got myself into all kinds of trouble. Here's something else she says. I'm the underachiever who never managed to get away from her control. That is, until I married the wrong guy. No worries, my mother had me well trained to be manipulated. I did not know up from down when I finally got away from him. Not long after, I was swept up by the next monster, a charming, at first, raging, mentally abusive, narcissistic alcoholic that turned me off and on like a table lamp. There was a small interlude here where I thought I might just be okay and felt I could get better. I was free at last. But that's right when the whole sick mom thing started. And last, I know there's likely nothing you could do to help. My best friend, the likes of which there will never be another, died unexpectedly two years ago. How I miss her. She was my rock. So, that's the backbone of her story, and that's one many of you may actually really identify with, either parts of it or, frankly, all of it. You can hear the complete lack of safety as a child, and I didn't quote some of the more gruesome details she remembers, and the ensuing chaos of her own decisions, choosing, as we've talked about, what is familiar to her or what was, and what had been shown to her as love but was far from real love. Again, we tend to choose to pick what's familiar. 
Now, I could talk about, in a cognitive behavioral kind of way, the mental mistakes she seems to be making that are part and parcel of depression, but I don't want to do that. Not on this podcast. We can talk another time about how depression is often characterized by thinking patterns that only entrench the depression further into your being. Maybe we'll do that in the next episode, in fact. Instead, I want to point out to you, and of course her, her strengths that this brief email to me seems to reflect. Again, did you hear those strengths? I heard them, and I want to point them out to her and to you. But before we do that, let's hear from Moonbird, our brand new sponsor, who has a great offer on their handheld device that's been proven to ease your anxiety with guided breathing techniques. It'll help you relax and even sleep. We have a new sponsor on self-work, and the product is Moonbird. Used by over 25,000 people in Europe, Moonbird is the world's first tactile breathing coach designed to fit in the palm of your hand. When you couple it with their free app, you can begin to grapple with stress, anxiety, or insomnia as you're guided through soothing breathwork exercises. Now, what does it do? Moonbird uniquely measures your heart rate and heart rate variability to guide you to change your own breathing patterns. Basically, you hold a device in your hand and you can feel the pattern of it expanding and contracting and you follow it. Simple as that. And you don't have to stare at a screen. Just close your eyes and breathe. Go to this website, moonbird.life slash product. That's moonbird.life slash product. And enter the code SELFWORK for $10 off. Think of all the sleep aids you've bought over the years. I have a drawer full of them. I'm keeping Moonbird right by my bedside. And when I wake up at 2.30 like I usually do, I'm using it to go right back to sleep. Moonbird. It's what you can do about your stress and your insomnia and your life. Moonbird.life slash product and enter the code SELFWORK. Okay. So let's talk about what this listener's strengths are as I saw them in her email that was full of the facts and details about her abuse, her trauma, her ongoing depression, but I still found strengths. First, she can be funny. Even though she said that my suggestion of laughter was too simplistic, and I get that given the level of her depression, yeah, that's pretty simplistic. But her own sarcastic wit was evident to me. It's probably one of the things that has kept her sane amidst such a hard life. What second? She writes very well. She uses language very well. I couldn't use all of her email, as I said, as some of her examples were too graphic to use. But the graphic part of it was because she used language so well. It was very descriptive and eloquent. Third, She's looking for answers, and she's open. Now, the more difficult part of this is that she says as she looks for those answers, she's almost absorbing the next label that she hears, like morphing herself into a trauma bond or enmeshment or whatever she's been reading. Oh, that's me. Oh, no, that's not me. But even after this amount of time, years and years and years She's still fighting for herself. She emailed me. Maybe that's why this new bottom is so hard for her or so surprising. 
Maybe her search has kept her from reaching bottom, sort of like treading water. But now she feels as if she's sinking again with a sense of hopelessness and helplessness. But she's a fighter, and I can tell. I'm also struck by a huge strength. She is 30 years sober. 30 years. Now she thanks AA, which is great. But first, that made me think that she reached her bottom with alcohol. And what she did, she pushed off, she pushed up whatever imagery you want to use. And she's had the tremendous tenacity to remain sober, even throughout all the chaos she describes. I can't tell you how amazing that is. So she's tenacious, or can be. It's in her history, and maybe she can rediscover or refine her own tenacity. Another explanation of why she may have reached her bottom, although her mother has been deceased since 2017, is this fact. Often when a parent dies who's been abusive or cruel, the grief isn't the same as normal grief. In fact, it's far from it. What you have to grieve is that the relationship, the love you never received, you will never receive. It will never be. The chance has died along with that parent who never apologized, never tried to make amends, never even admitted wrongdoing. So that grief is very, very different. And her last strength are the one I heard the most. She made a close friend. So she's capable of emotional intimacy, which is a miracle given what happened to her. Every kind of trauma imaginable. I imagine this caused incredible distrust. But she had a very close friend who got her and who she allowed to get her. This reflects that she can make close friends, that she has that capacity, even though she feels alone right now. Now, what does all this have to do with hopelessness and helplessness? These thoughts or ways of believing can be taught. What I mean is you can learn to be hopeless and helpless. You can learn that there's nothing to do when you encounter severely stressful situations other than to freeze or even fold, to feel paralyzed, which is to freeze, or to get as small as you can and fold. And actually, sometimes these particular and unique stress responses are exactly the best choice you can make, rather than to fight or flee. Sometimes doing nothing is better than doing something. Sometimes it's better to bide your time, to wait, to live through something. But this listener has other strengths as well. Remember, she's used her humor to help her. She can be tenacious. She's got a great use of language, which can help her understand and learn. Hopelessness means feeling deep despair. Helplessness means that you feel you have no what's called agency. You don't have an ability to move forward or backward. You don't have an ability to make a decision and act on it. Your agency, your ability to act in your own life is thwarted. You feel as if you have no strengths that you can use to help yourself, and that can cycle into more despair. Again, I could pull out my CBT handbook and help this listener see the mistakes she may have been making in her thinking. But since she's great with language, she can do that herself. 
the guy I mentioned before, Dr. Michael Gapko, writes about that, and there's a lot of free info on what's called stinking thinking. In fact, I did a podcast on it a long time ago, and I'll have that podcast for you in the show notes. But what can this listener do? Number one, AA is free, and it meets regularly, and it promotes sober relationships with other sober people having similar struggles. This listener's used it before, and I think she could use it now. If you don't like the first meeting you go to, go to another one. Ask a sponsor for help. She's not drinking now, but could still be struggling with an addict's thinking patterns, or all the stress she's been under may have led her to that thinking pattern again. And AA would want to help her with that and would help her with that. So you don't have to pay for AA, and you don't have to be drinking in order to go. She's already done it, and she can reinvest and rejoin that group. Number two, think about and write down what that best friend might say. This listener has probably internalized her. We all do that. When I miss my dad, for example, which I do quite a lot, I always think about what I know he'd say. That's called internalization, and it helps you feel not quite so alone. If she was your rock, She can't be here for you to physically lean on, but she can be alive in your heart and your mind. And y'all's friends can as well. If you've lost someone that's been important to you, think about what they would say and write it down. Put it on your mirror, whatever you need to do. Number three, use your anger productively. I can hear this woman's anger loud and clear. How do you use it productively? Save up all your glass jars and throw them against some brick wall outside while you're thinking about how angry you are or who you're angry with. Yeah, you have to clean it up, but it can be very cathartic and it's free. The only thing one of my exes, for example, ever gave me that had any value at all were fancy perfume bottles. Never mind that I didn't wear perfume. That was something he wanted me to do. So it was another kick in the face for me to try and get me to wear it, which I never did. One night, I took the half dozen of them I had and broke them to smithereens. It was great. You can go saw some wood, move some rocks, go to the river and throw rocks into the water. We women often forget to express our anger physically, thinking we can just feel it out or think it out. Nope, that doesn't always work. So physicalize your anger in a safe way. Go break some mayonnaise jars. Again, All of these suggestions are free and can be very freeing. Number four, I would suggest that she quit scrolling around looking for answers. Instead, write down what you know now. She may have fixed so many labels onto herself that none of them even make any sense anymore. So I'd suggest that she write down what she herself believes. No jargon, just what she believes and knows. And then how to begin to find that sense of agency, of what's possible to do no matter how small, to feel a tiny bit more powerful and not quite so hopeless. I told you before I wrote to this listener to ask her if I could use her email, and she agreed. But I'd hoped that she'd say that she was fine with it, and so I'd written a good deal of this when I heard back from her. I guess I was hoping she'd say yes. And this is what she wrote. Thank you for your response. I very much appreciate it. I regretted sending this email almost as soon as I hit send. 
so much angst and drama and stuff no one wants to hear. I was afraid to read your response. I was so embarrassed. I'm up and down like a roller coaster. What seems like the thing to do in one moment feels like the wrong thing in the next. It's hard to keep up with myself sometimes. So again, this led credence to what I said. Sit down and write what you believe. You can hear her thoughts are all jumbled up. And that's how any of us can get when we're overwhelmed. I can only hope that these suggestions will help her and you if you're dealing with hopelessness and helplessness. Think of the support you do have, like maybe AA. If you can't remember or list your strengths, ask others to help you. Do it yourself if you can. Stop overloading yourself with others' ideas or theories or trendy fixes or labels. State what you know and what you feel like your goals need to be for you. Don't shy away from anger. But, and it's an important but, use it productively and in a way that won't hurt you or anyone else, but will get it out. Find free services. I was once a new employee at the Community Help Center, and I very much cared. I wasn't a 20-year-old with a sympathy voice. And I volunteered at the Free Health Center in my community for 10 years. Don't count it out, because it's free. Good luck to any and all of you who face hopelessness and helplessness. Please send me any comments or questions you might have to ask Dr. Margaret at drmargaretrutherford.com or leave me a speak pipe voicemail, which is in your show notes. And it's the first thing you see on my website at drmargaretrutherford.com. It says, please leave message for podcast. I'll look forward to hearing from you. Thank you again for being here. I'm so appreciative of all of my audience here at Self Work. Appreciative of new sponsors like Moonbird. Please take very good care. There's a lot going on in the world. It's a heavy-duty season for some. Holidays are markers where we remember who was there and what happened maybe last Christmas or last Hanukkah, whatever you remember, last Kwanzaa. But please take care of yourself, the ones you love, and also your community. We're in this together, and we've got to learn how to trust one another again in whatever way possible. I'm Dr. Margaret, and this has been Self-Work.